Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 35 titled Jesus' Question About Fasting. Today we're going to revisit fasting. We've talked about it in an earlier podcast, but today it's going to have a little bit of a different spin. Today we're also going to see the analogy of marriage used regarding Jesus and his followers. The church is the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom, in case you didn't know that. Now, there wasn't a Christian church back when Jesus was questioned about fasting. Yes, there was Jewish temples, but the church of Christ hadn't started yet. And I don't mean that by denomination. I mean Christian churches hadn't been formed yet because the, the religion of Christianity had not been formed yet. So let's go ahead and dive into Scripture today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17 says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, This is the disciples of John the Baptist, by the way, coming to Jesus to question him. They asked him, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment. And a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are prepared. Excuse me, preserved. We're going to jump straight into the commentaries today. The following information was taken from an early church father, St. Hilary of Poitiers. The fact that he said there was no need for his disciples to fast, he's talking about Jesus, as long as the bridegroom is with them, illustrates the joy of his presence and the sacrament of the holy food, which no one need be without while he is present. That is, bearing Christ as the light of the mind. But once he's gone, Jesus said, they will fast. So this again illustrates the need for fasting rather than the idea that we don't have to fast. So the Orthodox Christians fast. The Catholic Christians fast. The Orthodox Christians, I think, fast twice a week. Catholic Christians, I think, fast twice a, once a week, rather. That's not a normal week, by the way. There's an influx based on what events are going on, like Lent, etc. And, and I, have, I haven't really seen any Protestants do any fasting at all, personally. That's just the churches that I've been to. And that doesn't seem to be biblical, because... The only time people stopped fasting was when Jesus was in the flesh on earth in his ministry. And after that, fasting was utilized again. So it doesn't seem biblical to avoid fasting entirely. I personally like fasting once a week. That's a goal I try and keep. Now, I'm in school and I deploy to Africa for a living. So I've got some lifestyle issues that I have to work around. But my goal is to fast once a week and I prefer to do it on Sunday. And I've tried to fast from about 6 a.m. till 3 to 6 p.m. And to be quite frank with you, not only does my body feel better, but I feel more spiritually connected to the Lord when I do. So just my personal experience with it. If you haven't tried fasting, give it a shot. It's it's going to be fantastic. And it's full of health benefits, too. If you go back to our other podcast, the first podcast about fasting, we'll talk about it. It rather talks about the health benefits, some of the health benefits. But intent matters, right? We're not supposed to fast for our Lord second and for health benefits first, right? Like it's got to be fasting for the Lord second, excuse me, fasting for the Lord first, and then any additional health benefits are, are just a, an additional benefit. That's all it is. Let's move on to another commentary. The following information was taken from David Guzik's commentary. 
Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That's the part he's commenting on. It wasn't right for Jesus' disciples to imitate the Pharisees in their hypocritical shows, nor was it right for them to imitate John's disciples in the ministry of humble preparation, because the disciples lived in the experience that John tried to prepare people for. So, first of all, the Pharisees' hypocritical shows, that's what Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount. Don't be all dramatic with your fasting. Oh, I'm suffering and I'm such a holy person. That's that virtue signaling that we've we talked about, right? So, we're supposed to anoint our head, wash our faces, keep ourselves as if we're just participating in a normal day. That's the way Jesus wants us to do it. Now, that's the way John the Baptist's disciples conducted themselves. Humble preparation. And if you didn't know this, John the Baptist actually paved the way for Christ. And he and his disciples did a lot of fasting. Some of you may remember the staple of John's diet at times, which is locust and honey. That's got to be delicious. I kind of want to try that, honestly, just for the heck of it. Because for someone to be baptizing people by water for repentance in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, I mean, talk about a spiritual titan just making it happen. To me, that's so cool. The following information was taken from David Guzik's commentary. Jesus' reference to the wineskins was his announcement that the present institutions of Judaism could not and would not contain his new wine. He would form a new institution, the church, that would bring Jew and Gentile together in a completely new body. And they referenced Ephesians 2.16 with that commentary. So for those of you who don't know, there is or will be a new Israel. It's known as the remnant or the remnant of Israel or new Israel, depending on how you want to call it. When someone believes, and again, not by English definition, but by original biblical language, what it means to believe is to have the trust and conviction in which a person is impelled by the inner and higher prerogative and the law of the soul. So that's what it means to believe, right? That's what it means to believe. So when they truly believe or have faith, which are exactly the same thing, just different wording, according to the Bible, in the gospel, they are brought into the fold. So the fold of the remnant or the new Israel. Now, of course, the, the, it's not only the gospel, but it has to be in Jesus Christ, right? So when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible, Scripture, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, his death, his atonement, his resurrection, proving his deity, all that, when you believe the basic principles within Christianity and come to understand them, you're pulled, in the fold, you're pulled into the fold of the remnant or the new Israel. And this ties into what Paul talks about with Gentiles being circumcised in the heart. The following information was taken from David Guzik's commentary. Jesus came to a introduce something new, not to patch up something old. This is what salvation is about. In doing this, Jesus doesn't destroy the old, which could be considered the law, but he fulfills it, just as an acorn is fulfilled when it grows into an oak tree. There is a sense in which the acorn is gone, but its purpose is fulfilled in greatness. So, I think it's fitting here to remind everyone that all of the Mosaic Law is holy. Not one dot, not one iota will be removed from the law until heaven and earth pass away so it's set in stone is to be treated with reverence just as the seed of moses should be treated with reverence as jesus instruct instructs now we are not under all 613 mosaic laws but we are however under the law of christ and the law of liberty 
Now the law of Christ is to abide in his love through obedience to the Ten Commandments and obedience to the entire New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament. Okay? And the law of liberty is to do what we should do, not what we want to do. And that is James' teachings in the New Testament regarding the law of liberty. It's the pursuit of what you should do, not what you want to do. It's not The law of liberty doesn't mean, yes, no rules. I don't have to do anything in the Bible. All I have to do is profess with my mouth Christ is Lord, and I can go live a hedonistic and pagan life, acting the fool on a daily basis. No, that's not what the law of liberty is. The law of liberty is to do what you should do, because Christ is Lord and the Bible says so and God knows what's good for us. Not what we want to do. Okay. Now, in addition to that, the Old Testament, if I remember, if I remember correctly, there's four classifications of Mosaic laws. Judicial laws, ceremonial laws, civil laws, and then ethical or moral laws. So judicial law would be, we're not, according to the scholars, right, from my research in school, According to the scholars, we're not under the judicial laws, which means we don't have to put people to death for certain reasons, right? That's not the case. And nobody should be upset about the death sentence because we have that in the United States of America. So if you don't think pedophiles, murderers, or rapists, or people who conduct heinous crimes shouldn't be put to death, well then take it up with the United States judicial system. But the point is, there are things so heinous that people can do that it makes you deserving of death. So we're not under the judicial laws. Number two, we're not under the ceremonial laws because Jesus fulfilled all of those as the high priest, right? Number three, we're not under the civil laws. So an example of that would be Jubilee. Now, if I remember correctly, Jubilee, every seven years, all debts would be forgiven. Now, do I personally want to be under that law? Yes, absolutely, 100%. That would be fantastic because my house would be paid off and my truck would be paid off right now, but it's not. We're not under the civil laws anymore. But however, the moral and ethical laws we are, and that's why we are to, that's the parts of the Old Testament we still have to obey. It's all of the Ten Commandments and all of the New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament teachings. That's the way the scholars have worded it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's summarize today and bring it to a close. The fact that Jesus said there was no need for his disciples to fast as long as the bridegroom is with them illustrates the joy of his presence and the sacrament of holy food. So Jesus Christ is the bread of life, okay? And an interesting thing, by the way, just a quick side note about the bread of life sermon. I, I studied the, I just took the Gospel of John a couple months ago, the entire course. I studied the book of John for eight and a half weeks. And in, I think it was John chapter six, during the bread of life sermon, he lost all of his followers, except for the apostles. And when all of his followers went away, he looked at the apostles and he said, are you going to leave too? And I think it was Peter that responded, why would we leave? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. So that's just, I just wanted you to take that with you. Just have that when it's talking about holy food, the bread of life and Jesus being the bridegroom. I don't want you guys to think that Jesus just walked around and everybody was captivated by his speech. There was many instances the bread of life sermon being the most significant one where people walked away from him because he told the truth. Okay, it's just, there's a reason the prosperity gospel and all of its falsehoods are thriving in the Protestant evangelical circles is because I, I just don't know what it is about human psychology. Oftentimes, in many situations, and this matches scripture too, lies thrive more than the truth for a certain period of time, right? 
things kind of ebb and flow, but I just, I can't help but notice the trend that there's a lot of people are, there are a lot of ministers, ministers rather, who are successful by teaching falsehoods, and it drives me up a wall. All right, side note over, summary number two. Orthodox Christians and Catholics Christians, they both fast differently. Orthodox on a normal basis twice a week, Catholic Christians on a normal basis once a week, and the Protestants typically don't. I personally like fasting once a week. Number three, Jesus' reference to the wineskins was the announcement that the present institutions of Judaism could not and would not contain his new wine. Right, so that's his analogy he was talking about, and that's according to the scholars, some scholars. Summary four, Jesus doesn't destroy the Mosaic law, but he fulfills it, and we still have to obey parts of the Old Testament in relationship to the Ten Commandments and the New Testament. So, number, summary number five, we are under the law of Christ and the law of liberty. The law of Christ is to abide in his love according to the Gospel of John. And that's chapter 14 if you want to go read it. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments or keep them. And if you love me, you'll obey my word or keep it. And that's scripture. And the law of liberty that James talks about is to do what we should do, not what we want to do. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.